So I was sitting here, and um, I had to, like, distract myself with, like, 3,000 billion things to keep from starting my plot. Um, and then I distracted myself so thoroughly that now I kind of don't want to do my plot drift. <laughs> it's just really weird. I'll, I'll, I'll get back into it. Um I did watch a really interesting video on YouTube about making Rocky Road ice cream. Drift another drift. Um, I don't know. It was just weird. I uh, I I went too deep. I don't know. Just you know, shit happened. Um, there. <clears throat> my plot drift this evening is the year is 1881 in magical Britain. Now I have to ask myself. Um, First and foremost, who's my main character? And when I first asked myself this question, it was like, okay, my main character is Harry Potter. But you know what? No, no. I, I'm going to go with Sirius. My main character is Sirius Black. So, um, now I have to ask myself some questions. Um, how much of the Harry Potter canon events do I want to plug into my history, um, my historical? Do I want to make him, do I want to give him a kid? Do I want it to be Harry? Do I want it to be a different kid? Um, so, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. I've written stories where Harry's practically grown up and had been raised by Sirius, but I've never actually written a story where Harry is a little kid with Sirius. Um, so I think that would be really interesting to watch, to, to read, and to write. Um, so... So I'm just pushing now, I have to ask myself, do I want to do the um, Noble AU, which is my favorite, favorite trope in Harry Potter, um, bar none. Uh... <laughs> so if Sirius is a uh, daddy naturally or um, through... Uh, the Potters having been killed, do I want to insert the matter of uh, Voldemort? Do I want to create a different Dark Lord so I can avoid all that stupid Horcrux shit that I really, really get tired of writing about? Um, I think that I do. I, th I think I'm going to give myself a different... I'm going to make an OC villain. Um, so I'll have an OC villain. I'm going to write that down here. OC villain. Um, let's see... I'm going to let him keep his little brother... But in order for him to be the Earl of Blackmore, his grandfather and his father have to be dead. So I'll do that. 
bad wheezies. You know what? I don't like many wheezies, so it's really, really easy to make bad wheezies because I don't like them. Um, uh, let's see. If I get rid of Voldemort and there is no fucking prophecy, I have to think about why um, James and Lily are dead. Oh, oh, of course. Um, the Potter family wasn't noble. Just an ancient family. Just ancient. But when James married Lily Evans, he married a descendant of a, either a founder or I could go full-blown royal AU and do that she was a descendant of Arthur Pendragon, which would make her son... I did it before in um, the the Pendragon Legacy, but it gets kind of sprung on everybody much, much later. But what would happen if they couldn't keep it a secret? What if upon his birth, Harry was recognized immediately as like, the regent to be that 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 was just it was like immediate and that was why both he and his parents were targeted by the dark wizard or just by everybody in general really i really like i really like exploring that uh pin dragon thing and um Oh, I just had had an amazing, amazing epiphany in that um, when they tried to kill Harry, the Lord of Magic was so furious that he comes down to Earth. So I'm going to make my pairing... Serious Black and Zeer. <laughs> okay, so Serious at this point is definitely winning My Boyfriend is Better Than Yours award. Um, the Black Dragon. Zanatra, or Zir, as I like to call him, because I don't really know how you pronounce that, but that's how I'm pronouncing it, and I really don't care how anybody else pronounces it. The Black Dragon comes down. (laughs) Okay. To protect the Pendragon line, which is Harry Potter which is Harry Potter. 
So Harry gets to be raised by the Lord of Magic and Sirius Black. Someone asked me earlier about um, my mythos when it comes to um, Lord and the Lord of Magic and the Lady of Ma- you know, Lady Magic. Um, for me, um, I kind of view them. Um, well, the Lord of Magic, Zir, the Black Dragon, he's a chaotic god. Um, and But Lady Magic, she's more like Mother Nature. Um, so I think that uh, they're like twins, like two sides of a coin. And so when I write about them individually, or in some cases when they appear in the same story, it's um, it's about making a choice um, between following a um, someone who is chaotic, the black dragon, um, and someone who is more neutral, and perhaps like the goddess of fertility and you know stuff like that. So, anyways, I really don't have any set mythos for that because I'm an atheist and I try not to delve too deeply into religious matters mostly because on any given day I am like three or four steps away from insulting practically everybody I know with my beliefs on religion so I try not to voice them not out of respect for religion but out of respect for people (laughs) so yes um, if it's 1881, I think it would be Nicholas Black who is um, the headmaster of Hogwarts. Um, but that—that's the canon. If I'm pushing Harry Potter's canon all the way back a hundred years, basically, um, then. I would slot all the staff that's in 1991 in 1881. So it still puts Dumbledore in the um, in the seat as the headmaster, and it gives me all the teachers. So I don't have to build a whole original cast. Um, I just pushed everybody back 100 years. Uh, so I still get all the characters from the canon. I can just play with them a little differently. <laughs> I think Moody's going to be a pirate. (laughs) Come on. That's like a missed opportunity right there. (laughs) Anyways, the the characters will be there. Um, It's just 100 years in the past. So I get to keep um, the characters instead of creating new ones and having to worry about that kind of thing because the world building is enough that I really don't want to build an OC cast on top of it. And because even though... The name is canon. There's nothing about Sirius's ancestor that's really available, so he would essentially be an original character. If I went back in time and used all those names that exist in canon but have no characteristics, it would be like building an OC cast, so I'm not doing that. Um, it's easier to keep most and then my OC, my normal OCs that I like to use um so <clears throat> my OC villain will be the biggest character build 
in the story. Those of you who are curious about my first uh, plot drift, I've written the first 8K of that story. Just if if you were curious. Um, And what I noticed is that when I was going through what I had written down, I came across a um, a hot point in that particular plot when I was having to justify James and Lily being foolish enough to bring Harry back to Britain when he's so well hidden and safe. Um, and what would motivate them to do that, even with Voldemort supposedly captured? And so it became... I. I stumbled right into a plot hole first thing. But it was interesting because I already had all this um, plot work done. And I was, uh, it it was just really interesting to plot over a plot. It was basically what I ended up doing. And I solved my problem, I think. I I think it works out. Um, But you have to, because, you know, when you let your characters make a really smart decision, like running for cover and not telling anybody where they are, and then turn around and get them to do something really dumb, you're like, did they get stupid while they were in hiding? (laughs) No. I am essentially taking the canon cast as they are. And moving them a hundred years in the past. And sitting them down as they are. So Dumbledore would be the headmaster. And Dippet would have been the headmaster before him. Ever what year. Pushed the whole timeline a hundred years back. Um, So the thing is. Is that Tom Riddle exists. And Tom Riddle would be in his. 60s at this point, I think. 50s or 60s. Uh, I'll have to do some math on that. So Tom Riddle will exist. Um, all all the characters that were originally in canon will exist in their roles. Uh, it, maybe slightly different, a little bit, in the past. But I can't make Dumbledore a student and Harry five years old. That makes absolutely no sense. I hope you guys get to what I mean by that. Anyways... And I also couldn't make Sirius an adult and then have McGonagall and Dumbledore. Well, McGonagall wouldn't even exist if Dumbledore was a student. Then Sirius would not even be a twinkle in his grandfather's eye. Because that was the choice that I made. Basically, when I decided what year I was going to do, I wanted to pick a year I wanted to put it in the Victorian age number one um because that's really interesting to me and i t- I talked about earlier wanting to do a a bodice ripper um but mostly I just wanted to uh i don't know. Get a little dirty, right? It gets a little dirty. Um, and what's interesting is that someone in the chat room said that they're very Victorian as it stands. Not so much. They might 
dress in a Victorian fashion a little bit. The older adults, um, in the Harry Potter verse, um, and that's mostly, I think, out of isolation than than lack of development um, socially. They're just they're very isolated. The other part of it is is that um, whether they meant for it or not, you know, lots of things have been leaking into the magical world from modern society. Uh, otherwise, Arthur wouldn't have such a huge collection of shit that don't work. It, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, because their school uniforms are, are very modern um, compared to how you see some of the adults dressing. But when you look at Molly, who's not very Victorian at all in her dress, she's just kind of frumpy. But the implication is, in your question, Dawn, is that you assume that they stagnated in that particular era. But what if they're just, like, further behind? So if if in 1991 is a more Victorian society from magical society. Um, so in 1881, where were they? Would they have been more isolation? Exactly. Would they, would they, they, have, they would have been more isolated. Um, there would have been stricter rules of behavior. Uh, and witchcraft trials. <laughs> yeah, that's, and there would also be a lot of uh, serious concern about hiding from muggles. And this is when, you know, I think that the Statue of, of Secrecy really became such a big deal. Like, you know, that when the church was persecuting them um, over and over and over again and across the world that they were being persecuted, you have to think about how that would have impacted magical society how they were bringing Muggleborns in. Um, if I do an AU, an alternate universe, I can do a lot of things with that. It'd be really interesting, you know, what happens, how that's done, you know. It, it kind of goes back to, um, I think, what what amounts to my very first plot drift was when I did a steampunk uh, Harry Potter with, with Lady Holder. Anyways, <laughs> I picked 1881. I'm also kind of... Um, Sorka says, what made no sense to me was how they had a rock band at Hogwarts during the ball when they can't use electricity. Well, all of their um, all of their instruments were probably powered by magic. Yeah, amplification charms. Um, but their homes are awfully well lit to have no electricity as well. So I think that really... Um, if you're very, very smart in your world building, practically anything that you would um, want to uh, emulate from the Muggle world could be done with magic, with the exception of perhaps um, 
Well, well, even television could be done, you know, with communication mirrors and stuff like that. That's just a base technology that um, couldn't have been just the invention of a couple of um, Hogwarts students. They had to get it from somewhere, you know. Uh, So I think magic can be used in a great deal, a lot of ways, if you think about it. I would also like to write um I don't know if I want I would want to go back to a medieval setting, but I would like to write one where they have to um well, that's the implication that those that those magical instruments were and someone in the chat room just said, well, wasn't that a violation of enchanting muggle items? Well, the implication is is that those were muggle items. Those could have very well been instruments created by magical people in a very magical fashion. Just like brooms. There are muggle brooms and then there are brooms made by magical people and they are vastly different things. In um in the unspeakable plot Hermione commissions an instrument for Harry, a magical piano. And in the soulmate bond, Harry has a piano that um, that is made a great deal like a wand is made. I have imagined a magical Stradivarius. Um, Hermione plays it in the soulmate bond. It was Lily's. So, you know, that's the implication there is that you you, you can't really assume, and even you can't really assume that instruments like the piano and the violin were muggle creations. They could have originally been magical um, creations that got leaked into the magical world before the Statute of Secrecy was created. These instruments were originally... um, very, very magical, and that parts of the instrument that's magical isn't available to a muggle. Anyways... Okay, so I like the idea of the black dragon um, coming down to Earth. I don't know if he would give his mortality completely. It's it, it's a question. It, it becomes a question. So, of course, this plot idea would, would definitely be called Serious Black... I can't. I can't do that now. That's terrible. A marauder and the black dragon. Well, you know, it's a question. Would he give up his immortality? He comes down for Harry. 
but he falls in love with Sirius. And what happens at that point? Um, does he live a life with Sirius and grow old with him and die? And then when they both die, does he just take Sirius with him? Yeah. I like the idea of that because I, I, I hate the idea of them falling in love and then Sirius growing old and then Zir losing him in the end. True love. <laughs> but see, the thing is, is I don't, Zir wouldn't die. I th- I think he would grow old with Sirius and wait for Sirius to die. And then when Sirius let go, he would just take him and they would go live wherever the Black Dragon lives when he's not on Earth fucking around with people's shit. <laughs> More like Ascension. I think there could be, yeah, I, you know, in, um, in Darkly Loyal, uh, Ask Zier, should you should you just be coming down here whenever you feel like it? And he didn't say it exactly like that. He just he asked that question, and Zier asked him, "Who's going to stop me?" There is literally no one around to stop him from doing whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. And I, <laughs> there was a question earlier in the chat room about bodice ripping. I wouldn't actually have bodice ripping because um, that implies a lack of consent. And uh, while I might say it's a bodice ripper, there wouldn't actually be any bodice ripping, so to speak. <laughs> because that's just, ugh. And I think that when you're a god, that you have to take, um, you have to take consent really, 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 really seriously. I don't know. I think you could have a Viking, um, bodice ripper, or you know. But I agree that maybe that really for it to be a genuine bodice ripper, you 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 need a pirate. You need a genuine pirate. Okay, so the first idea is for Sirius to raise Harry, who is a descendant, the first magical descendant, um, male descendant, um, of Arthur Pendragon. Yeah, you know, honestly, if, you know, dresses back then. A, a woman could only have like five or six really good dresses if she was wealthy. If some man tore my good dress, he'd be toting an ass whooping. A total ass whooping. So there won't be any bodice ripping. Literally. I like the idea of a C. Okay, my OC villain um, will definitely be trying to... I don't know. Uh, I think that after the... Um, honestly, once I bring in the Black Dragon, it just kind of puts all my um, 
No. Lily descends from Arthur Pendragon. Um, not Merlin. Uh, but once I bring down a god and put him in a, a position of defense, there are no plot obstacles. I mean, because even Voldemort at his highest power would be no match for the Black Dragon. None. Not a... Um, so this actually just became a short romance. I'm perfectly fine with that. Goal for my story. Porn. <laughs> the thing is, is there's no villain on Earth that could possibly match a magical god. Once I put Zeer on Earth in the defense of Harry, all I got left is porn. That's, that's all I got left. Well, no, because I, um, he's not limited in any of the, any of the other stories I write him in. So, no, this this idea really isn't big enough for anything more than, say, I don't know, maybe 25K at the max. Because otherwise it just becomes contrived. Someone said it earlier, um, and... I don't like that, no. <laughs> the thing is, if he is in a mortal body, it makes him subject to a mortal death. And that could endanger the state of magic on Earth. So as much as Zir might want to do might want to be a part of Sirius's life and even you know, help parent Harry, he's not going to endanger all of magic for that. So there's no way he would be in a mortal body. Or that he would be confined to a mortal body. That makes no sense whatsoever. So this idea becomes 25K of filthy porn. And I'm okay with that. But I think that that could take place in practically any time period, so it doesn't meet my plot drift. Back to the drawing board. Because I could put that in the current canon, which would be actually really amusing if I took that idea and um, Sirius breaks out of prison to save Harry and the Black Dragon comes down to help him. So that really doesn't meet my plot drift idea at all. Um, but still, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> I think that um, 
yeah. Yeah, that I could that I could, that I could insert Zir right in that moment when Sirius is about to be kissed and Harry's Patronus um maybe it isn't enough. And Zir comes down at that point and lots of fun shall be had. Some naked fun and porn that doesn't meet my plot drift. So this this could take place in current canon, in the current year canon, and it would be perfectly okay, which would be 19, what, 93? 1993. It would be curious... If, like what you said in the chat room, Jilly, if Harry didn't get there in time and he was kissed and Zier interfered. Or, oh, it might have more impact um, if in Harry's zeal to prove his godfather innocent he gets him a trial and Sirius allows himself to be captured for this trial but and Harry has no idea but everything is stacked against Sirius and he's found guilty and they're going to throw him through the veil and Ziri interferes. That's really interesting. I like the idea of that. It still wouldn't be... Um, that still could take place anywhere and it would be fine. And uh, they would have to deal with the consequences of their deception of both, you know, lying to Harry, misleading him, and um, what the betrayal would be as far as uh, Zira is concerned. So that's interesting, but not my plot drift. Okay. The thing about um, plotting is that sometimes you'll start down a path and you'll want to try to hammer it out. And I watched the people in the the chat room try to um, push it in that direction, try to add things to it, even after it became obvious that it really wasn't going to work. And I see writers do this um, in their own work, where they'll take a, a a misstep, and then they'll keep pushing that misstep, trying to make it fit into their original idea, and it doesn't. And um, I learned over the years that when I try to force an idea to fit, that it often falls apart. So if you find yourself and you've taken a misstep or you've taken a a path early on in your idea, like I did with Zir, because um, once I put a, a living God on earth, it really obliterated everything but an emotional relationship plot, a family plot, come-together plot. It 
obliterated all external, all genuine external threats because it just did. But then still, people in the chat room were trying to say, oh, what if you did this? What if you did that? What if you crammed this into this and crammed that into that? And it creates a situation where you're forcing an idea to fit a mold, it no longer fits. And when that happens, often your story falls apart so completely you, you never finish it. That's my experience. That's what happens to me when I do that. So over the years, I've learned that when I make a decision early on that I'm really excited about, like I was when I said that Zier could come down and um, play house with Sirius, once I made that decision, um, it really amused me. And that means that out of all the things that I talked about in that idea, that is the one thing that I would absolutely keep, which removes external problems. I mean, yes, I could say, okay, he's limited in his body. I could make him mortal. But if he's mortal and if he's the god of magic and he gets killed, then what happens? Would he risk, again, the, these things come up? So when you're t talking about... um your plot and how to move through your plot, it's always really good to acknowledge what your what your misstep is and how to avoid, um, as Jilly just said it, um, an artificial fix that ends up looking fake and um, contrived. Because the last thing that I... <laughs> I'm a plotter, so obviously all of my you know scenes are planned and um, my outcomes are planned for the most part. I I I rarely ever. I mean, I'm, when I do pants a story during my second draft, I lay a plot on top of it to make sure everything works. Um. So. Yes, I do make all my plans, and um, people can say that that is contrived, and. I hate, I hate more than anything to be told um, something I've done is contrived. It's it's really insulting. But then I also know these people who say, oh, well, it was so plot-driven. Like, plot-driven is an insult. You can't see my face right now, but I'm making a terrible face. <clears throat> Anyways. Back to the plot drift. The year is 1881 in magical Britain. In 1881, well, in 1991, Harry was 15 months old. 1981, when his parents were killed in October. I enjoy a character-driven story as much as I do um, watching paint dry. <laughs> uh, I think that um, you have to be very careful when you're um, trying to write a character-driven piece, and it usually, um, in order to keep my attention, it has to be really short. It can't be 
um, anything particularly long. Even anything over 20K is iffy. What if there was a plot to overthrow Muggle Britain and Lily's family is nobility, which is why they were targeted? Um, that puts Lily being a relative of Queen Victoria. I have to ask myself, would the magical world at large allow even a small faction of magical Britain to seek to overthrow the Muggle government in Britain when they're already facing so much um, violence and hatred for being magical and the persecution and all that stuff. I I think that if that were to come to play... um, It would be <clears throat> I think one of the reasons why that the the world at large didn't interfere is because they were so far removed from the persecution that they faced in the past. Um, But if you put them in the 1800s, um, that's really, that's a dangerous time to be magical um, and available to the muggle public. Uh, I think that even if a small faction in Britain threatened to reveal themselves as magical in an effort to control the Muggle government, that they would be eliminated post-haste. Zir is trapped in a human body by wizards that want to control all magic. The only way that I would write a story where Zir was trapped in magic... In, in in a in a human body would be if Zier was actually Harry Potter. But the question would become how on earth would anybody know that Harry was Zier? What would be really interesting, Harry was Zier's son and not James Potter's. I'm going to put it right out there. There is no way I'm going to write a story about religion. 
I would alienate so many people that my whole site would disappear. I would have no visitors. <laughs> there might be a cross burning. I don't. <laughs> it would be, be bad. We're just not going to do that. <laughs> um, I don't. You know what though? That might be. I think that's interesting. That yes, that um, that that there was a a resurgent in spiritualism and modern witchcraft, and that people were excited and looking at supernatural. But they also these people weren't all that far removed from the people who burned witches at the stake. And you need to keep that in mind. And you need to look at people today. Look at them today and imagine how they would react to a real witch. Not someone, not some hedge witch, not some pagan worshipping um, naked under the moon, as fun as that is, but an actual witch. The persecution would be unbelievable. There is a reason why when you look at stories... Um, where mutants exist, that there's always somebody there trying to control them. So if you actually made um, a situation where magic became known, even in the 1800s, the late 1800s, um, up approaching the 1900s, it would be very dangerous. And witch burnings wouldn't be a thing of the past. Uh, it, it, if you've never studied this, the, the Salem witch trials, I, I really think you should, because it took all of a handful of days to stir up an entire town of people into murdering their neighbors. A Three teenage girls incited an entire town to murder people. So <laughs> it wouldn't take um, anything. For that to happen. So I don't want to go there. Um, I do like the idea of... Um, well, no, it couldn't be Lily who was cursed with sterility. It has to be James who was cursed with sterility. Otherwise, Zier's in the wrong body. Someone in the chat room says, Lily was cursed with sterility to stop the line of Pendragon, so she and James tried a ritual conception, and Zier got pissed about the line dying, so he inhabits Harry, James, and boom, Harry exists. Um... Yeah, that that becomes an issue of um, dubious consent. If Lily is in a ritual with her husband and Zier takes him over, that's not her husband she's in bed with anymore. That's a stranger, and that's rape. And I would never in a million years write something like that. So... Hmm. So, okay, 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 okay. 1881. 
I'm stuck on this, the serious and the zero things. I'm going to have to set serious aside because otherwise I'm just going to end up right back in that plot hole, that black hole of plot I already did. Um, Someone asked in the chat room, isn't a ritual conception not involving sex? It greatly depends on who writes the ritual and how that ritual is constructed. Because um, I personally don't see how a conception of a baby could happen without some kind of insemination. Unless the baby's in a globe, like Lady Holder did in her story. And even then, I think there was some ejaculation, wasn't there, Lady Holder? <laughs> Sorry for those on the podcast. Um... She used, um, Lady Harder used blood, okay. Um, I think that chanting and magically there's a baby, that might be um, a little contrived. You know, there's always that stork thing where um, Heart seeds. That would be really funny if, if Lily grew her baby in a garden. <laughs> I just got her. Oh, give me a minute. <laughs> I'm not making Harry a cabbage patch baby, but that's really fucking adorable. Um. I also, uh, to be perfectly, to be perfectly honest, um, I am, um, I have a deep, deep, I'm deeply uncomfortable with the idea of sterilizing a woman for a plot point. Um, that's just, it's terrible. That's just a terrible thing to do. Boy, do they. Harry and Frodo do resemble a great deal. Uh, yeah, I have to say, those two actors um, are very much, uh, very, very, very similar. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, put aside all of that plot, and I'm starting over. Um, it's 1881. It's 1881. <laughs> I'm kind of all... Um, someone asked in the chat room, what do you find interesting about the 1800s to plot there? Nothing. 
that wasn't the point. A plot drift question. I wrote it down and I did no plot, no planning or whatever whatsoever. There was none. There was no planning um, whatsoever. That's the point of a plot drift that you come into it with a blank slate. Um, I just picked a hundred years in the past, wrote it down, and came into the p- podcast. That's point of a plot drift. Um. <laughs> Make everybody pirates. <laughs> okay, okay. Moody would be the only one that would fit in. You know, there's actually a Harry Hermione story where um, Harry inherits Black Island. And it's like this, um, that used to be a pirate colony. And I forget what the story is called. And there's even like a ship. They even have a pirate ship. It's like the ship from the, um, from the dark school. Is it Dumbstrang? Dumbstrang? <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> At D school, and they bring and the Weasley twins bring the pirate ship to Hogwarts and attack it <laughs> with cannons. <laughs> I forget what the story is called. That's the best part from that. That's the part I remember most is that the Weasley twins got to man the pirate ship, and um, uh, it was Harry and Hermione, and it was. Obviously, after fifth year, because Harry had inherited um, Black Island um, when Sirius died, and um, Dumbledore's manipulative. It's definitely one of those. And uh, great story. I forget what it's called. Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Well, I am going to replot. So, uh, okay, replotting. The year is 1881. I'm going to pick a new character because I can't get Zier and Sirius out of my head. Um, Normally, I write almost predominantly from Harry's point of view, which makes him my main character. Um, it would be interesting to write a story from Hermione's point of view. Um, you think that I'd be really, really comfortable doing that, but I'm not sure if I am or not. Uh, Francis remains my favorite OC. She's in Darkly Loyal. Yeah, a muggle-born woman in the 1800s, that would be a huge change in mindset. It it really would. Um, But I think that also I kind of have some experience with that already because um, uh, courting Hermione Granger, 
um, was very old-fashioned in in a lot of respects, and um, I could have easily stripped out all the modern stuff that happens um, on the Muggle side of things. Um, well, mostly I think it's just a phone call that because her, Hermione has a phone in her flat. Um, that is really the only part that dates it. Because everything else takes place in the magical world. Um, and there's the library, the British library. But um, I, I never mentioned cars, computers, TVs, just the phone. It's very interesting. Um, <clears throat> anyways, uh, well, golf is a lot older than golf isn't a modern invention. Yes, her mom mentions the telly, but golf is by no means a modern invention. I think that um, blood purity was definitely an issue in 1881 because it was it's, it's not far off from when Grindelwald would have his blood war. Um, yes, thank you, Scotland, for golf and scotch. I think that um, when it comes to, um, it, you know, it's a curiosity because wasn't there a female headmistress for Hogwarts at some point? There would be kilts. That would be lovely. Um, there would be some kilts. Yeah, thank you for the kilts too. Appreciate it. Um, the, I think that she would have a whole new world opened up to her because... The magical world seems to be, oh God, the magical world seems to be a little bit more open um, to women than it would have been for a muggle woman in the 1880s. Because there was a female headmistress, um, there'd be more career options for a a woman in in the magical world, which is almost like it, almost the reverse of what it is in a modern magical where in the modern world Hermione has all these options and and but in the magical world there the job seems the job market seems very narrow right but if you take it back 100 years it's practically the 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 difference is amazing when it comes to how much freedom Hermione would have as a witch versus what she had in muggle society But what happens is, is because magical society is very um, stagnating, um, while magical Britain stays the same, in Muggle Britain, things expand rather rapidly. With the anti-witch sentiment back then, what would the magical world be like for a muggle-born? They wouldn't just tell the Grangers about her being a witch, would they? I think... um, I 
It's a curiosity. I think that I think that they would have to. I don't know what the canon would be for that, but I have to believe that. Well, Hogwarts has existed for a very long time. So, um, and even the founders argued about argued over whether or not to include Muggleborns, and they were included. So we know that, and because Dumbledore himself is a half blood, he's not a pure blood. No, well, an education in, um, for a woman in the 1800s would have been a luxury. Even in the late 1800s, um, it was a luxury. It was a luxury in the 1900s, the early 1900s, for a woman to um, to have an education. Um, it was very rare. They were groomed for marriage. And if I make her parent, her father, a doctor, her mother wouldn't be, probably, um, I think that probably um, maybe upwards even into the 1950s or maybe just before the war with Grindelwald, they probably spelled muggle parents for secrecy. Or, yeah, in instances where they had accidental magic, those children might suspiciously die but not really. They would just disappear into the magical world and the parents would be led to believe that they died or um, were taken away. Um, so it would, it would be curious to, to figure out um, how to approach that. You know, How old would Hermione be when I start the story? Well, what we know about the thing is, is, I don't really know how the statute of secrecy works. I mean, does it become the situation where you literally can't talk about magic if, um, I think it, well, it would be it would be more than nationwide because the statute of secrecy is a an international law. Um, it when it. In um, the Lord of Ma- in uh, Lord of the High Elves, I have the High Elves um, 
protecting magic and magical enclaves. That's their job. Um, So I think that based on um, what Julie just copied and pasted from the International Statute of Wizarding Secrecy from the Harry Potter wiki, that um, they probably stole Muggleborns. And spelled people to believe they died. They might have even put a magical construct in the place of that child. How else would you explain the existence of half-bloods um, like Dumbledore? They can't um, ignore Muggleborns because that's dangerous because of accidental magic. They can't tell the parents or they have to use some kind of forced secrecy charm on the parents to force them to keep the secret of their child being magical um otherwise magical society dies they can't ignore muggle-born Because if they did ignore ignore them and, and didn't bring them into to magical society and didn't train them, then blood then blood wouldn't be an issue because there would just be pure bloods. But their but blood is an issue. It was an issue long before Voldemort. So they had to. So they had to be charming these muggles. They had to be confounding them or um, charming, memory charming them or um, oh oh who, who said that Jeep that's awesome I actually have an idea um okay So, Hermione Granger has a, a bout of accidental magic, um, and for convenience sake, um, her parents are going to find it just outrageous, and unacceptable behavior. Um, so, there's a policy in place to take muggle-born children um, into a magical household. And I'm going to make serious and unknown spouse her new magical parents. So I'll leave James and Lily alive.
and tell the whole story from Hermione's point of view. Um, <clears throat> I think that um, I want to do my world building around the idea that one of the ways they protect magic um, is to allow the adoption of muggle children, muggle-born children into magical families. Um, I want to do... I love the idea of making Sirius a father, so that's probably going to be my choice there. Um, And maybe they get to adopt her because they don't have kids of their own. That they can't have kids for one reason or another. Um... I've already done the thing with Minerva as Hermione's adoptive mother, and I like that. Um, Yeah, well, yeah, that would would be a good reason for them not to be able to have kids, because they're both men, which would let me do Zale, which I know makes Senna happy. I don't know, probably a blood adoption, because that way it kind of um, makes it... uh, it essentially, based on what I've already done, it essentially brings her into the house as a a full magical member and not just um, a fostered child or, or the like. So I probably would do a blood adoption. Um, well, in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, when Hermione is blood adopted by Minerva, there are physical changes to her because of it. And this is a kind of an Easter egg in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, for those of you who have read it. Um, not only, but Hermione's Animagus form didn't make contact with her until after she was adopted, because Minerva is a latent parcel mouth. So her adoption actually impacted her animagus form, which is why she's a snake. Because while Minerva couldn't give her parcel magic, she did influence her magic and her genetics and woke up in her her animagus form of a snake. So there's no telling what she might have been before the adoption. Right. She she didn't her form she hadn't met her form before the adoption. And immediately after the adoption, one of the first scenes that you encounter with Hermione is when Harry is introducing her to his familiar, Rowena, and she hears parcel tongue for the first time and she gets really, really super pale and Harry thinks that she's afraid of him. But what it is, is in that moment, Hermione realized that she understood what that snake was saying. So every time you see her going through that and you see her asking Harry, well, what did, what did that snake say? Or what did that, she's verifying what she's hearing with him because she, for you know, Maybe she's a little crazy, so she keeps verifying over and over again that she is, in fact, understanding what this snake is saying and even what he says when he, when, when he speaks parcel tongue. 
So that was a, kind of like a little, little Easter egg in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. And when if you go back and you reread it, you'll see her um, easing her way into the idea that for some reason or another, she can understand um, snakes and she can understand parcel tongue. But it isn't until she transforms for the first time that she develops the ability to speak like a snake which is not again not parcel tongue she is speaking as a snake when she's when she does that and she doesn't gain that until she first transforms into um her snake form a coattail i can't, i couldn't remember what it was it was just like it, it wasn't getting into my head the on um, the snake that i form the form that i gave her but that was just a little easter egg in harry potter and the soulmate bond so when you're a plotter you can do fun shit like that just kind of sneak it in there under the under the radar. I kind of like the idea of Sirius adopting Hermione and Harry being all jealous because um, he's been like you know um, the center of S- Sirius's attention since forever since that you know he was his godson and now all of a sudden there's this girl. <laughs> That everybody's excited. I just like the idea of Harry being just really jealous of her. You know, just at the start, just being jealous that she's getting this attention that he's used to getting from Sirius and um, Zale. So that would be kind of fun, too. I like the idea of that. So, um, again, I don't know if this needs to be an 18, if if this needs to be historical. Um, I like the idea of it being historical. Um and it does make her adoption easier to handle and it uh it would also be such an immense relief to her if she was living in muggle victorian england and then was suddenly in a um in an environment where she was going to be allowed to get as much education as she could possibly want And just imagine how much that would be, just, just just how much awesome that would be for her because she would be going from a situation where she's basically essentially been trained to be some man's wife um, and being taught how to handle a household um, from an early age to, I think I want to put her around 10 years old, so she would already be getting um, lessons in household management at that age. Um and she would already been, you know, already been. There were there were there would already been grooming in place. Like, oh, you don't need to learn this. You don't need to learn that. You don't you don't need this. You don't need that. You don't need this book. Um, over and over and over again, this would have been drilled into her. Um, you're not acting like a lady. You need to walk this way. You need to wear this dress. You know. Even at ten, this would have been such a that, that had been drilling into her head to prepare her for the marriage market. As terrible as that is, but that's the circumstances that she would have been growing up in. Um, you're absolutely that, that's actually very good, Dark. I like that. That being told that she could not go back to school um, could have caused her magical outburst, or their refusal to buy her more books or to allow her to learn something new or to be told she couldn't have a career. Maybe she tells them she wants to be a doctor like her daddy and she finds out that she can't. 
her mother tells her she can't be a doctor because she's a girl. And these kind of societal pressures would have been pressed. I mean, you know, you know, I think about my nieces, and my niece is eight years old, and um, we were we were out at the park, and they're eight, ten, and twelve. My nieces, um, and she and I was like, I had my phone, and I said, okay, girls, you know, you guys. Gather up and we'll take a picture, right? Every single one of those little girls struck a sexy pose. Like they were grown. Like this I was like, What? <laughs> I wanted to lecture them, right? <laughs> I wanted to lecture them so much about their um their acting like grown ups. And I'm thinking to myself, just when does that start? And I can't imagine how that would have been for little girls 200 years ago or 100 years ago, um, that kind of gender role um, just pressing on them. And it's just terrible. It's it's just really terrible. So if Eaton starts around 8 years old, that would be good too, an 8-year-old. An, an that That gives her three years before Hogwarts to catch up. Um, which would probably be good. Um, so, hmm. It has to happen before she's 12. Um, So I think 8 or 9 is a good age for it to start. Now, I'll have to look up what the age is for starting school in Britain since you guys can't seem to have a a consensus on that. But what could happen is, is that she asks to get put on a waiting list for the school she wants and... Her father tells her she's not going to go to school. Um, and as Dark so eloquently put it, she loses her shit. <laughs> Which would be exactly how Ken and Hermione would react to being told she wasn't allowed to get an education. She would lose her shit. She, I mean, it would just be like, boom. <laughs> she might lay waste to half that house before the British Ministry of Magic can get to her. Okay, Eaton educates 1,300 pupils aged 13 to 18 and was founded in 1440 by King Henry VI. So in today's age, well, no, she would not have been allowed to go to Eaton because it was just boys. So that's not even a really an, an, um, it's an English boys boarding academy. But um, So she wouldn't have been allowed to go there. 
course, we can't really apply modern So the 1870 Elementary Education Act, thank you, Jilly. That's 5 to 13. So let's say she's in some kind of... Um, some kind of school. And maybe, yeah, maybe she asks about continuing her education after she's 13 and she finds out she's not going to get to. Um, and since it's an alternate universe, I can pretty much do whatever the hell I want um, as far as school options go. Um And we do know at this point that there are women who are being educated as doctors, right? I mean, the first doctor was in 1850-something. First woman doctor was in 1850-something. So there has to be some way of... Um, 1849, thank you, Jeep. There has to be some way of educating a woman after the age of 13. But, um, so, okay. Tutors. Finishing school. But what's a finishing school like? It's more it's just manners and Thank you. You guys are awesome. Um, I'm having a hard time keeping up with the chat, though. Um, thanks. Books 17 just gave me an awesome link. Educating a woman. Okay, that's awesome. Well, there had to be something, right? I mean, because we see these women... Um, Okay, there was Queen's College. That's pretty cool. In 1848. Wow, you got to go to Queen's College at 12. That's pretty cool. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I can I can actually read about that all night long. So we're going to go back to the um, plot. So for whatever reason... Um, she has a bout of magical, um, she has a, she has a huge bout of, um, accidental magic in response to being told that she's not going to get to go, um, to college, that she's going to go to a finishing school, 
um, to learn how to be a lady and to make her more acceptable for the marriage market. Well, if I make her father a doctor, he has wealth and connections. That's what happens when you're a doctor, especially during that time period. Um, Unless, of course, you're John Watson. Has it crossed anybody else's mind in the Sherlock Holmes series that Watson kind of gets the short end of the stick repeatedly? But that's another that's another podcast right there. I'll just skip over that. That's definitely another podcast. Okay, so James is now Lily is a healer with um the magical hospital. Let's just say it's probably still Saint Mungo's, right? Well I'll look that up later. Um and she goes to the scene and meets Hermione and helps with the cleanup and she takes Hermione back to to the magical hospital and she contacts Sirius and says I think that um, you need to come down here and meet my patient because I believe that you're going to be that she's who you've been looking for because he's been looking to adopt but um But he wants to do a blood adoption, and that really hasn't been possible before for one reason or another, and I'll figure that out later. Okay. So Sirius ends up adopting Hermione at, between the ages of eight and nine. I'll decide later um, on how old she is based on my research of education options. Um, I do want her to be it's before 11 so that she can go in. Um, I don't want to do an orphanage situation at all. I don't ever. I don't even want to think about putting her in an orphanage, because that whole orphanage thing in the Harry Potter verse makes me think of Tom Riddle, and that is terrible. It just, it just, oh, I think it was that scene, you know, and you think about, and also if magic, if magical orphanages existed, then Tom Riddle wouldn't have been in a Muggle one. I like that sentence. That's really good. Um, the magical uh, compatibility. But that's one of the reasons why I don't call Potter Readout in um, an orphanage often in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond because I'm I really find that term within the confines of the Harry Potter world, disturbing because of the Voldemort connection. Um, it's just the connection I made early on when I was reading it, probably, obviously, in um, uh, the Chamber of Secrets. And um, it just it struck me so odd that they would leave a magical child in a muggle orphanage, which means to say that there are no magical orphanages. Otherwise... Why wouldn't he have been put in one of those to better protect magic as a secret?
Well, if all I did literally was push the entire cast of Harry Potter's 100 Years in the Past, yes, of course Tom Riddle exists. Whether or not he becomes Voldemort is another question, but of course Tom Riddle existed. Dumbledore exists. He's the current headmaster of Hogwarts. You know, all that's still there. It's just 100 years in the past. So, of course, Tom Riddle went through... That actually... The existence of Tom Riddle and the problem with the Muggle Orphanage could be the reason... that muggle-born children are adopted. Because Riddle went dark. (laughs) No, I think that Tom Riddle went dark and... but he was killed. But in response to his... um, to what he did while, you know, and because of the abuse he suffered in the muggle world um, for being magical, that they put laws in place to protect muggle-born children and to get them out of situations where they might be corrupted. And because of that, they created a situation where magical families were allowed to adopt muggle-born children no, no. I think in, in order for it to work, um, Riddle can't die in the orphanage. He has to come into the magical world and fuck shit up. Just not actually turn into Voldemort. Um, and his corruption was eventually traced back to how he was treated in the muggle world in order to prevent that in the future. They created a situation where magical families were called upon to adopt muggle children to protect them, which takes this into an entire AU, which is fine with for me because I'm really comfortable writing in an AU to begin with. Yeah, maybe he does get get caught killing Myrtle. That that would actually be a really excellent place to um, to catch him because I don't know that I ever believed that Myrtle's death allowed him to create a Horcrux. Because um, she was killed by the snake, not by Riddle himself. And that means... So his diary of Horcrux had to be created in another way. There was another murder. There there had to be, right? I mean, because he, cause he didn't actually kill Myrtle. He exposed Myrtle to the Basilisk, and the Basilisk killed Myrtle. I think definitely, it would definitely... um, Dumbledore might suffer for it, but not too much, because this is still the Dumbledore who caught and confined Grindelwald. Is it confirmed that killing his father was what made the diary?
I like the idea of Dumbledore being ambiguous. You know, not necessarily a bad guy, but not a good guy either. Just someone who has his own particular um, idea about how shit should go, and he wants to make everybody do it. Well, it depends on when he defeated Grindelwald and how old Tom was when that happened. Was cause I thought he defeated Grindelwald while he was still a teacher at Hogwarts. Okay, World War Two. So, and how old was Tom Riddle? So yeah, he was Tom's transfiguration teacher. So how old So where in that timeline does he defeat Grindelwald? I have to look that up. Okay, Grindelwald was defeated in nineteen forty five and when was Tom at Hogwarts? Born in 1926. 1937 was his start date. Well, he would have had to have been if he started um, Hogwarts in 1937 and Grindelwald was debuted in 1945. The diary was created in Riddle's sixth year. So he was 16 when he created that. That's two years before Grindelwald was killed. Not killed, but captured. Oh, new rule. The next time um, I do a plot drift and somebody um, repeatedly makes me want to do something they want to do, I'm going to make them come on the air and plot drift with me in a terrible, terrible way. I'm watching all you guys. I don't know if you can count... um, capturing his old lover to be um, a uh, redemption. (laughs) Okay, so when did Myrtle die? If the diary was created in 1943, when was Myrtle killed? Because I would like to get him. Which means by the time he kills Myrtle, he already has.
Okay, so he kills Myrtle. Then that following summer, he kills his dad and creates his first Horcrux. Horcrux. What the hell did Myrtle ever do to him? That's an asshole move right there. Just pure assholery. Poor thing. Anyways, so I think that if... So he killed Myrtle. He goes home, kills his dad, and makes the diary. I let him get caught... Letting the basilisk loose on Myrtle, that's before he's created a Horcrux. And I know I'm probably saying that wrong, but it amuses me to say Horcrux, so that's how I'm going to say it, because it's amusing. (sighs) Which means Dumbledore might take a little bit of heat. But honestly, he wasn't doing anything illegal by leaving Tom in that muggle orphanage. And then he can defeat Grindelwald in 1945 and it just, you know. Suddenly Dumbledore is um, golden again. And Hagrid doesn't lose his wand. That's right. Uh, But... Well, he didn't do anything wrong. There was no um, alternative. And because of that, had to come up with an alternative to solve the problem. And I think that also blood purists might actually embrace the idea of bringing these children into their homes and blood adopting them. Essentially erasing the taint of being muggle and... um, also, I think a lot of blood purity is not so much about blood purity as it is about societal purity and keeping muggle influence out um, of magical society. Yeah, you're cheap, you're right, especially if the birth rate is lower. And you see a lot of magical families only have one or two kids, unlike the Weasleys who apparently thought they could fill the Quidditch team on a regular basis. No, I would never write a story where a 15-year-old boy gets the death penalty, Um, no matter how dark he is. Come on. So Tom Riddle is caught um, killing Myrtle. 
And since you guys keep giving me conflicting dates and ages about when this happens, I'll be looking it up myself. Um, I'm going to make a little note about that. But I definitely want to avoid the whole magical orphanage thing. I I don't know if the aging is permanent. It doesn't seem like it would be. Yeah, Myrtle did die in 1940, June 13, 1943. So, and Riddle started Hogwarts in 19... Thirty-seven. Again, I don't care what the wiki says about Myrtle's death. I don't think it meets the burden for creating a Horcrux because he didn't actually kill her. The snake did. We might just kind of chalk that up as one of um, I don't okay so his first year was 19 I think I might want to chalk that up as one of her um, plot holes right there because I just don't see how it's possible. Um, of course, she never explains the Horcrux ritual, but it seems to me she said she does know how it's done. And when she told the editor at, um, that it was just really a terrible thing to do and how, how it was accomplished, um, which makes me think that it was probably some kind of ritual, um, which also explains why Harry is an accidental Horcrux, um, and he didn't plan Myrtle's death. But J.K. Rowling didn't write the wiki; it was written by other fans. Um, he kills multiple people in the Riddle home. Which means he could have actually created the ring and the diary during those murders. And he gets the locket after he leaves Hogwarts. He steals it after he leaves Hogwarts. Why wouldn't he? Just because he made the Ring of Horcrux doesn't mean he wouldn't wear it. It's his Horcrux. Why wouldn't he wear it? How is it going to do anything to him? Oh, cool link, Jeep. Child rearing in medieval Ireland. I'm going to add that to my list. Um... So what? 
Penelope says Pen says that um that they could have felt the horcrux and in the darkness. Creature wore the locket around that house and that locket was in that house the whole time. And nobody in the order even noticed the locket. Umbridge wears the locket in the ministry. Of course, she's already dark as fuck. The thing is, is so was Tom Riddle. So why would anybody assume that a magical artifact he was wearing was making him darker than he already was? Nobody notices the diary. Harry writes in the diary. He carries the diary around. Jenny carries the diary around. The only time a Horcrux really seems to impact people is in a very negative way, personality-wise, is the locket. And that's when they're wearing it on the the hunt. They're constantly wearing that locket to keep track of it. I mean, you can't compare, say, the the Horcruxes to the One Ring. I don't think it, that's... And even the Locket wasn't super powerful until, and influencing until Harry actually opened it. And it controlled Jenny, the diary did, because she wrote in it. I think that um, because de-aging probably isn't something that you can do permanently or just start somebody over, that they might. um... (laughs) I do agree that Jenny was a moron. That's probably why I controlled her. I'm just saying that it did because she wrote in it. Um, So you can't treat the Horcrux as like the one ring. That doesn't make any sense. Um I think he eventually hid them because of paranoia. And um, the idea that he might be killed or his body could be destroyed and the Horcrux could be destroyed with him. Uh, And the whole point of these Horcruxes was to anchor him into um, the world so that he couldn't die. So, of course, he's going to want to um, spread them out so they're not all in one because you literally don't put all your eggs in one basket. I don't know. Um, I think obliviation, as far as Tom Riddle is concerned, him getting caught, he's just a kid, so killing him is completely out of the question. I mean, he's just going to be 15 years old at this point, right? Um, or he might, well, I think he turned 16 his, 15, his, fifth, his fifth year. He turned 16 because he had a birthday after September 1st. So he's 16, and um, yeah, because he's not going to get to create Horcruxes. And even if in canon, some wild-ass reason, um, he created one with Myrtle, I'm going to say he didn't, because that's 
dumb. Um, <clears throat> otherwise, if if it was that easy to create a Horcrux, they'd, they'd be everywhere. They would literally be everywhere. Because it isn't like Tom Riddle's the first person to kill somebody <laughs> in magical Britain. <laughs> I think that um, I think that if you commit the act of murder at 16, that you're not sane. Uh, absolutely. So I do believe he would be locked up in um, St. Mungo's um, permanently. And maybe, you know, um, with magical suppression of some kind. Um I would definitely push a wheezy or two. Um, but yeah, so it, it can't just be, you know, this this accidental killing of Myrtle cannot be what. Um, I don't even want to click on that link because I'm pretty sure. That I'm going to be horrified by how children were treated in 19th century. Did they hang kids back then? I don't even think I want to know. (sighs) I'm very concerned. Anyways, I would, um probably put him in the hospital, but regardless, there won't be any horcruxes, because I don't think just an accidental murder is enough to make one. Um, And so he'll go in a hospital, and it will spurn legislation for adoption procedures in pure-blood families, and they'll learn through trial and error that magical magical compatibility um, creates really strong um, opportunities for blood adoptions um to, to take place. And so that's what uh, that's what that will be. <laughs> you know, honestly one of the most terrifying things, horrible things I ever saw on T V was I watched a documentary on um insane asylums in uh Britain. Crazy terrible, terrible places. It would almost be better to die than to be placed in one of those places. Um, But then, you know, that whole argument of um, memory charming Tom Riddle into better behavior, it uh, it brings into that whole nature versus nurture argument. Um, Right. Bedlam's. Because was Tom born a problem or was he made a problem? Um, were the circumstances of his birth um, part of the reason why he was a problem? Part of the reason why he was off even before he learned how to do what minimal magic he could do before he went to Hogwarts? Um, did a love potion that helped create him corrupt him in some way? Was there some kind of magical corruption at work uh, based on how his mother um, produced him? 
Yeah, it it does bring in the question if um if if nature um versus nurture if if nature is more important than than blood adoption would be not as beneficial. Um, I personally don't believe in the bad seed. Um, I don't believe that you're born one way or another. Um, as far as good and evil and bad goes. I think that um, we all have the potential to be terrible, and we all have the potential to be amazing, and it boils down to a set of circumstances. And everything from childhood nutrition to childhood care comes into play, your experiences, um, your health, your uh, your interactions, they all make you what you are. So I don't believe in that whole um, nature argument anyway, but uh, it's an interesting thing to think about when it comes to Tom Riddle and, and how you might um, work with him. Uh, we're not talking about mental diseases. We're talking about good and evil. Um, and, you know, obviously some things are not a matter of nurture. Um, chemical imbalances in the brain, uh, depression, which is also a chemical imbalance in the brain, um, schizophrenia. There are plenty of things that are just a they happen to you regardless of your circumstances and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being good or evil and I think someone who's schizophrenic is not evil, they're crazy. <laughs> and there's a big difference between being evil and being insane. Um, I think when it boils right down to it, a perfect example of that exists already in Harry Potter, whereas I think Voldemort is insane, and I think Dumbledore is evil. Because that old bastard wasn't crazy. Everything he did, he had a rational reason to do it, including leaving an infant, an injured infant, on a fucking step in the middle of the night in November. So I would say that Riddle, Voldemort, was insane and Dumbledore was evil. And that's all I have to say on that particular subject. Um, I've actually got some pretty good ideas for like four or five different stories, actually. Um, plot drift. And I hope that it... it spawn some ideas in you as well. Um, whichever one of you wants to make a magical orphanage, I look forward to reading your story about it. I forget who was talking about that, but um, you're really keen on it, so I hope you're going to write a story about it. It'd be interesting. Uh, as long as you don't m make the pairing creepy and Dumbledore's a good guy, I'll um, I'll be happy to read it. I don't want Dumbledore to be. A, I want Dumbledore to be an asshole and dump, give it a creepy pairing. <laughs> How is that for entitlement? <laughs> I think the best thing you can do um, 
is to let your brain kind of wander when you're plotting and um, just figure out for yourself what works and what doesn't and always do what's more comfortable for you versus what um, your readers might enjoy or want. I recently, when I was picking out my pairings for um, July, I was very tempted to write Harry Draco for no other reason than the fact that um, I thought some of my readers might be disappointed if I wrote another Harry and Hermione. And then I thought, well, fuck that. I'm going to write what I want to write. <laughs> so you, so it's very easy for even someone who's really vehement about that to fall into that um, that space of wanting to please somebody else when it, when it comes to your writing. So you guys... Be aware of that, and um, I'll see you guys tomorrow night. Shut up and sit down.